Just turn then in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, which is actually the third message in this book, an interesting one. We sometimes think of the minor prophets as a little difficult to uh, go through and to understand, but uh, Jonah's different. It's largely narrative. It's an account, tale. Chapter 2, I suppose, is a psalm, a prayer, but uh, most of it is uh, narrative. And Jonah, of course, is a, a runaway prophet. The Lord said to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach against it. And the message uh, there is given to us in chapter 3, yet 40 days and Nineveh She'll be overthrown. But uh, Jonah wasn't very keen on going to Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh was the, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were then the, uh, the superpower uh, in the world. Uh, they hadn't yet invaded uh, Israel, but there was always that threat there. And uh, Jonah was to go to Nineveh and uh, preach against it. Uh, but Jonah went the other way. Uh, Nineveh would have resulted in, uh, involved a journey to the, to the northeast. He'd go north and then round what they call the Fertile uh, Crescent to get there. Jonah went as far as he knew in the other direction. Uh, Tarshish seemed to be some uncertainty, but most people seem to think it was in Spain. So it was about as far as he could go uh, going west. Why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh, you might think, well, he was a bit fearful of these uh, enemies of, uh, of Israel. No indication that that was the problem. Uh, the problem was, as he says in chapter 4, because God was gracious. And Jonah feared that even when he went to uh, Nineveh, the Ninevites might repent. Now, when you see the message, it doesn't seem there was much scope for that. It seems pretty definite, doesn't it? Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, chapter 3 and verse 4. But the fact that Jonah was sent to Nineveh surely gave a glimmer of hope. Uh, when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he gave them no warning. He made sure that Lot and his family uh, moved out uh, first, uh, but there was no warning. And if God was just going to destroy Nineveh, and that was the end of it, then he wouldn't have needed to send Jonah there. The fact that Jonah went indicated there was just a little hope there, maybe a possibility that if Nineveh really repented and turned to the Lord, uh, they would be uh, spared. Uh, and that's what Jonah did not want to happen. Seems a strange thing to us, doesn't it? <laughs> not to want people to be uh, converted. Uh, but what would happen if Nineveh uh, repented and the, the, if you like it spread and the, uh, uh, the nation repented uh, they would become God's people God would bless them uh, move amongst them and what of Israel? They were a rebellious a backslidden idolatrous nation and what would happen if Nineveh repented and Israel carried on in their sins would God switch his uh, favor uh, from Israel to, to Nineveh, uh, to the Assyrians, that seems to be jo Jonah's fear. You see that particularly in chapter uh, 4. But either way, uh, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh and uh, he went uh, the other way. Uh, and everything seemed to fall into place. He wanted to go to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, which is about 50 miles from where he lived. And there just happened to be a ship there going to Tarshish. 
he had to pay the fare and he had enough money to pay the fare. Uh, he went on board and he seemed to be at peace and he went uh, to sleep even in the first part of the storm. So everything seemed to be moving uh, very positively uh, for Jonah and we saw that last time, uh, that the fact we have peace, the fact that the providence seems to work out well for us, there's no guarantee that we are in the will of God. We have to rely on God's word, uh, what scripture says is right and uh, wrong. So anyway, Jonah goes down and uh, he's uh, asleep. Uh, but what does the Lord do about this? What, what's God going to think of a prophet uh, who deliberately disobeys him, uh, goes the opposite way to where he's supposed to? Uh, how is God going to act? You know, sometimes parents tell their children to do certain things, they disobey, uh, and the parents do nothing about it. I've often seen that in visiting families. Uh, parents uh, tell the kids to do something, they're ignored, and they don't seem to do anything about it. Uh, I've sometimes seen uh, uh, parents warning the children if they're not obedient, they'll call a policeman. Uh, I don't suppose they ever do, but I've uh, heard that on more than one uh, occasion. Uh, but it's sad if parents allow children to be disobedient, and I trust no parents here would, would do that. Uh, you're making for a disastrous situation later on if you allow your children to uh, disobey uh, without either preventing it or uh, dealing with it in an appropriate uh, manner. But God doesn't work that way. How does God react when his children sin? Sometimes he seems to ignore it. A uh, remarkable verse in Psalm 106, verse 15, uh, talking about the Israelites in the wilderness, and they were fed up with manna. Uh, they wanted some more meat. Uh, and we read here, God gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. He answered their prayers, but because their motives were wrong, they're really rebellious in heart, uh, God punished them uh, there, and God may do that. Uh, he may withdraw the sense of his presence, or he may chasten us sharply, as he did with Jonah. You may remember, I think it was about nine months ago, I preached a message on uh, uh, chastening, but you probably wouldn't remember that anyway. So we'll cover just a few of these uh, points. A few words about chastening. What is chastening? Well, it's God putting his children through unpleasant and difficult experiences with a view to purifying their hearts. Dealing with us in difficult ways, sometimes painful ways, but for our spiritual good. Every Negative experience really can be viewed as chastening, whether it's sickness, trials, accidents, uh, stress, persecution. We're not necessarily being punished for specific sins, uh, and many of the experiences are, are common to fallen humanity. Uh, they come about because of sin in a broad sense, but I say not necessarily because of specific sins. It may happen that way. David, we know, uh, sinned with adultery and then murder, and uh, he was severely chastened over many years uh, for that. 
but generally speaking, uh, chastening comes upon us, uh, perhaps irrespective of particular sins. We have a general sinfulness that needs dealing with, uh, but God sometimes deals with very godly people. You think of Job. The description of Job at the beginning of the book is a, is a righteous man, one that feared God, sought to honor the Lord in every way, and yet he was severely chastened, wasn't he? Dealt with uh, loss of all his property, loss of his family, uh, and then with a, a grievous, uh, painful uh, sickness, uh, resulting eventually in Job being brought closer to the Lord. You think of Joseph, another godly young man, but the Lord uh, dealt with him uh, severely. He was sold into slavery by his brothers, then he did well for a while, and then he, uh, his um, master's uh, wife accused him falsely of uh, immoral uh, approaches there, and he was put in jail for a period of time. God dealing with Joseph to prepare him for the way he would serve the Lord uh, later. But either way, chastening is a sign of God's love. Those whom I love are reproved and disciplined. Revelation 3.19 and again Hebrews 12.5 My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So we need to see that when we are chastened, when we go through tough times, it's a mark of God's love. And it's for, for our good. Uh, Hebrews 12, 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful. We're not masochists, so we, uh, we don't like going through tough times and uh, painful experiences. Uh, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness by those who have been trained by it. So it's a sign of God's uh, goodness uh, to us for our spiritual benefit. Now, I've mentioned this before, but uh, if, if we could have planned our lives, we couldn't, but uh, how would we plan them? What sort of uh, life would you plan for yourself? Uh, you wouldn't plan for the loss of a child, would you? You wouldn't plan for layoffs from your job. You wouldn't plan uh, for accidents and sickness. Uh, we wouldn't plan for sin and division in our church, would we? We don't like those sort of things. But God knows what is good for us. He plans these things. He's not the author of sin. We know that uh, sin is often involved in uh, bad treatment we may uh, receive uh, but God is not the author of sin. However, he uses these trials for our good. Jonah planned, perhaps hastily, a, a Mediterranean cruise, but he didn't plan uh, the storm. He didn't plan for the lot to fall upon him, indicating his guilt. He didn't plan for the dunking he received when they threw him overboard. Uh, those are not, wouldn't have been in Joe's, uh, Jonah's plans, would they? But God saw that that was good. Uh, and in the circumstances, it was the best for everyone. For the sailors, we'll see that. For Nineveh, 
and Jonah 2. So the first lesson today is uh, don't kick against God's providential dealings. It's very natural to say, why is this happening to me? Why does God treat me in this way? Uh, Don't do that. Uh, He knows best. Don't fight what God has ordained. He brings these things upon us in love, and we need to see that. Maybe hard to see it, to accept it, but we need to uh, reckon with that, need to come to grips with it. We have a loving Heavenly Father. Uh, he works all things for our good, and that includes the difficulties, the trials, the accidents, the sickness, or the problems that come uh, upon us. God does these things in love. And in God's dealings with Jonah, the first step was the storm. It was a particularly violent storm. The sailors were used to storms, but this terrified them. They they realized this was more than an ordinary storm. They cried to their gods, in vain, of course. Uh, And that shows that man is inherently religious. Uh, You hardly find anyone that doesn't at some point have a a religion. He reaches out to something uh, beyond uh, himself. And of course, if he calls out, it's usually to a false god, unless the true god reveals himself to him. But especially in trouble, people cry out to a God. Maybe there's some here, you've uh, denied God. You say, well, I have no interest in things. But when you're in trouble, what do you do? You pray. You ask the Lord to help you uh, and to draw near uh, to you. Usually they call out to a false God, I say, unless the Lord reveals himself to them. Then the sailors threw the cargo into the sea. That would be a loss to the owners. I don't suppose there was any system of insurance uh, for those things. Uh, and it shows us that so often our sins affect others. When we sin, may do some harm uh, to ourselves, but so often our sins affect others. That's obvious if it's uh, violence, uh, if it's robbery, Lies, slander, uh, but even in, say, sexual uh, sins, uh, even where there's consent of the other party, hurts the other party, uh, it dishonors, it defiles. And even when sin is within yourself and no one knows about it, uh, maybe jealousy, anger, bitterness, lust, It hurts other people. And you say, well, how can it hurt other people? Because we are told to love our neighbor as ourselves. And if we're bitter against people, if we're jealous about others, we will not love them as we should. So in that sense, we're depriving them. Depriving them of our love, our respect, our concern. So uh, every sin uh, affects Uh, others in some way. Sin is a foul thing. Always dishonors God, but it also uh, generally hurts others too. Last time we spoke about Jonah's sleep. He had a a sense of peace and we saw that was no indication he was in uh, the will of God. Uh, And the captain's amazed he can sleep. Everyone else is uh, 
uh, crying out to their gods and the captain probably knows where Jonah's lying down and he doesn't see him around. He goes and finds him and, how can you sleep in this storm? And uh, he says to him, cry out to your God. Uh, The others are crying out to their gods. Maybe uh, Jonah can cry out to his uh, God uh, too. He knows that Jonah must have some God. And then we find in verse 7, they realize how bad this is. There must be some cause for this storm. Someone must be responsible for it. And uh, they cast lots. Verse 7, let's cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. They didn't see things as a coincidence. You know, you see that throughout the Old Testament uh, there. Uh, There was a, a commitment to providence. Jews and heathen alike uh, recognize the hand of God in everything. You get many examples of that. Uh, 2 Samuel 10, 12, Joab is going to war against the Ammonites. And he says to his brothers with him, be of good courage. Let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. He's going out to battle, but he doesn't sort of say, well, if we're stronger, we can overcome them. Uh, No, the Lord will do what is good to him. And then even Cyrus, heathen king. Ezra 1-2, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. So there was that general recognition of the providence of God. Things didn't happen by chance. God was in charge of all these things. There's no such thing as luck or chance. That's why I don't like potluck suppers. Uh, Potluck, you see what turns up. uh, In a providential supper, you see what our Heavenly Father has provided for us. No such thing as luck. So when these uh, sailors cast lots, they expected the person responsible for the storm to be identified, and he was. The lot fell upon Jonah. Now we'd say, well, that was surely a supernatural occurrence. Well, it clearly was. Uh, Call it a miracle, if you like. The first one was the storm that came so suddenly because of Jonah's disobedience. The second one was the falling of the lot upon uh, Jonah. And perhaps it raises a few questions. Are lots a valid method of finding out God's will. You've got a number of examples in, uh, in the Bible. Uh, you remember when they defeated Jericho, the first battle, really, of the Israelites when they went into the Promised Land, and they were strictly charged, don't lay hands on the spoil. And then they went out to battle against, the second battle against Ai, and they were defeated. They were defeated. A number of their men were were killed, and when they saw, uh, Joshua sought the Lord, he said, someone has been disobedient, and this man called Achan had taken some of the spoils, some silver, some gold, a nice Babylonian uh, garment, hidden them in his tent. And how are they going to find out 
who it was, well, they cast lots. They go tribe by tribe, and then family by family, uh, and then individual by individual. And Achan is singled out through the casting of lots. When they asked for a king, uh, Samuel was told Saul was to be the one, but for the nation to know, there was a casting of lots. Again, they came tribe by tribe, family by family, individual by individuals, uh, and Saul was uh, picked out by lot to be the king uh, of the nation of uh, Israel. You see it in the New Testament too. Remember when Judas was uh, committed suicide eventually and uh, they needed another apostle, they felt, to make up the number of 12. They considered that significant. And there were two men there. Uh, they cast lots to decide between uh, Matthias and the uh, other man. Matthias was chosen by a lot. So when is it legitimate to decide an issue by the casting of lots? Well, let's, uh, let's have a baseball game against another church. Who's going to bat first? Well, it seems very reasonable to cast lots or spin a coin, which is the same thing. Uh, there, no problem there. Uh, but uh, what about a lottery? It's casting of lots, isn't it? Well, we see that covetousness is involved in that and um, Christians should have no part uh, in that uh, kind of thing. What about choosing elders? They chose Matthias by uh, casting of a lot. Should we choose our elders uh, that way? Now, you could argue the Holy Spirit had not been given then, uh, but you could argue too if there's more than one legitimate uh, choice. It might be reasonable to spin a coin. You want your uh, roof re-shingled and you do some uh, inquiries and you find your two companies are about the same price. Uh, you check out with the reviews uh, how reliable they are. They both seem pretty reliable. Who do you choose? Nothing wrong with spinning a coin, is it? To choose one against the other. Uh, you might do that with a job. You've got the offer of two jobs. It's not likely to happen, but if you had an offer of two jobs, uh, both about the same salary, uh, both uh, honest jobs, you might uh, spin a coin uh, there. But uh, we do need to be uh, very uh, careful. There are some verses there. The lot puts an end to quarrels, decides between powerful contenders. Again, Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. But clearly we need to be very uh, careful. It's dangerous and it's immature to rely heavily on lots. John Wesley uh, relied quite heavily on the, the drawing of lots. <laughs> At least one occasion, uh, he drew a lot, didn't like the, uh, what he was supposed to do, and uh, drew lots again. So he got the opposite uh, uh, information there. Uh, but it, it's a dangerous uh, thing. Here, no doubt, the Lord overruled. But I don't think as a church we're going to start choosing our officers by uh, lots. Uh, there are other ways uh, to do that. But here, Jonah's exposed. Uh, the Lord overruled uh, in that. And in answer to the questions, he uh, tells them his nationality, his religion, and his God. In verse uh, 9, uh, I am a Hebrew, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid 
said to them, What is this you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them, whether he told them then or a little earlier, we're not sure uh, there. But uh, the sailors uh, were concerned. They find out that his God is not just some local deity, uh, but the great creator God. The one who made the earth and the sea. And uh, the sailors are scared. Now it's amazing when you think about that. Uh, Jonah professes to know this God, but is disobeying him and running away. These pagan sailors show more fear of God than Jonah does. What an indictment against Jonah. Uh, Christians can be guilty on occasions of behaving worse than unbelievers. God keep us from that. Uh, We live in a world where uh, unbelievers think nothing of uh, of, uh, lying and so often of stealing and many other uh, things. Uh, Are we going to show we know better than them? Surely by our lives we should walk in holiness. We should give some indication we want to please the Lord. Uh, We're not satisfied to conform to everyone else and go along with normal standards. Um, But I say, what an indictment against Jonah that he really shows less integrity than these uh, heathen uh, sailors. Well, the sailors asked Jonah how to get out of the mess. And one good quality in Jonah, he was honest. Uh, You see that in verse 12. Uh, He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. No question about that. Jonah knew uh, why the storm had come. He knew why everyone was in danger because of him. His own uh, sin, what an awful uh, thing Uh, there. His conscience was awakened somewhat. If he isn't thrown overboard, the whole ship's company will perish anyone. Anyway, uh, it doesn't seem right to cause so great a loss of life. But there's something else here uh, that is quite extraordinary. Rather than throw Jonah overboard, uh, these sailors try their best to row back to land. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. See, it got worse and worse. It's amazing, isn't it? They they tried so hard uh, to save themselves, and Jonah too. They didn't want to throw him overboard. Uh, Some measure of integrity uh, in these uh, men. So they try hard to get back, but uh, once more, they're showing greater integrity than Jonah. They don't want him to be drowned. How do we explain such uh, behavior? When you read the Bible and read history there, you see such a uh, a low, what should we say, a a, a low estimate of of human life. Uh, Life's taken so easily. But these sailors here, they're trying hard to save this man. man that's obviously causing all their problems, uh, but they're trying hard to row to land to save themselves and him. How do we explain this. Well, the Bible is very clear on the universality of sin. We all know that, don't we? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But there is such a thing as common grace, uh, which is God's kind dealings with the human race, distinct 
from redeeming grace. We need to see that. There's a grace that is redemptive, uh, that brings us to Christ. But there's a grace that is general, common uh, to all. Psalm 145, verse 9, The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all His works. Uh, we can all enjoy the beauty of creation. This fall has been wonderful for four colors, and the colors of the leaves are just marvelous, spectacular. Uh, unbelievers can enjoy that just as much as we can. Uh, provision of food. Uh, all of us here enjoy food. Most people around us uh, enjoy uh, food. Uh, Matthew 5.45 uh, Jesus says God makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. Sends rain on the just and on the unjust. There are many ways in which unbelievers get the same treatment as Christians uh, do. Now some have problems with that doctrine of, of common grace. They say, well, what about those who don't have enough food? What about those who are crippled? What about those who are born deformed? Common grace is still grace, and grace is undeserved kindness. And we don't say this lightly. Uh, not all receive good things equally. Uh, and those who are the worst off get more than they deserve. It's maybe hard to see that when we realize how much some do uh, suffer, uh, but it's a fact. Uh, our question should not be, why do so many suffer? But why do so many not suffer? And why, in particular, are we blessed with so many good things? With a good health, most of us. Uh, with sufficient food. Uh, with comfortable homes. It's undeserved. It's grace. And we need to recognize that. Yes, if we can help out those who are starving, those who are going through uh, tragedies, those who have gone through floods and so on, if we can help them out, well, let's by all means do that. Uh, but we shouldn't blame God and say, why do these people have to suffer? Uh, it is grace that keeps us from the very worst of disasters and suffering. God's common grace that common grace gives natural talents, music, arts. We can enjoy uh, Handel's Messiah. There's no real indication Handel was a Christian. We can enjoy the music. Uh, we can, yeah, at least I can, enjoy a Beethoven symphony. Probably some of you uh, can too. We see many natural virtues in, in leadership. Don't seem to see many strong leaders these days, but when you do see a strong leader, someone can really... Uh, lead a nation like a Churchill during uh, the war. Uh, that's common grace. See, bravery with some. Uh, Self-sacrifice. Uh, uh, there's nothing in man to merit God's favor. They're all sinful, but still made in God's image. That image is marred, but it's still there. And people are capable of kind and noble and wonderful deeds. Think how many occasions are our mother's love for a sick child, the sacrifice there to uh, seek to care uh, for that child and to help them out. People risking their lives for others. 
Uh, many have gone back to Ukraine specifically to uh, fight for their country, to help to save lives of the Ukrainian people. They're willing to take that risk of death uh, to do that. Well, you've got a good example here. These people risking their lives to save Jonah, trying to row back uh, to shore. Good example. Well, it was to no avail. So eventually they throw Jonah overboard, reluctantly, and not before praying, not to their God, but to Jonah's God. Notice that in verse uh, 14, they called out to the Lord, Yahweh, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into uh, the sea. Interesting that they knew their own gods hadn't helped them in the storm, so now they're praying to Yahweh, the God of Jonah, uh, to uh, pray for help, pray that God would not blame them for uh, throwing, throwing Jonah overboard. And when they do throw Jonah overboard, immediately the storm ceased. And that surely is the third a miracle or a supernatural occurrence in this book. The coming of the storm, the casting of the lot, the ceasing of the storm, clearly supernatural occurrences. God in control here. And see the effect on the sailors. In verse 16, then when the, when the sea ceased its raging, in verse 15, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. It seems these men were converted. It's amazing, is it not? Uh, imagine the voyage to Tarshish, their own discussions of what took place, uh, their praise of Yahweh uh, for sparing them uh, from uh, the storm. Imagine their story when they reached port. Uh, the death of a prophet, as they imagine. After all, you throw a man over in a storm like that, you know, don't expect him to uh, survive. Uh, but that death was the means of their deliverance and their salvation. Jonah is clearly a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself brings that out. As Jonah was three days, three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Uh, So Jonah was a type of Christ, not in his disobedience, but in his death and resurrection, because that's what it appeared, wasn't it? Uh, His death, and the sailors didn't know it at that point, but uh, he uh, came alive again, he came out, and uh, then went to to Nineveh there. Uh, So through Jonah's seeming death and resurrection, There was salvation for the heathen, not Nineveh as yet, but a shipload of sailors. And we need to understand that Christ's death and resurrection is the means of the conversion of every sinner. Everyone that comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, they come not on the basis of some decision, not on the basis of their will, but on the basis of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as a personal 
Lord and Saviour, you need to realize that to get right with the Lord, to receive forgiveness of sins, you need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and plead before God his death, his resurrection, because that's what Scripture indicates is the ground of our salvation. If you're not a Christian and you know it, you can become a Christian even today. If you're listening in, not a Christian, you could become a child of God immediately by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ on the basis of his death upon the cross, the shedding of his blood to bring forgiveness of sins and his resurrection, uh, that his work was accepted by God uh, the Father. May God be pleased to touch hearts through that. But how wonderful is God's providence. God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, no, Lord, I want a Mediterranean cruise instead. God could have dealt with him in his own land and punished Jonah or dealt with him to bring him to uh, repentance, but he permits him to take ship and through the subsequent events, he saves the whole crew. He will still send Jonah to Nineveh, but now he has added numbers in his kingdom. Wonderful to see that with the uh, these sailors and how many might these sailors influence when they get to Spain or uh, elsewhere. Romans 8.28 is true in all ages. All things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Even Jonah's disobedience was overruled for good, to make him a type of Christ and to save more souls than would have originally been the case. How wonderful that is. And we can surely say with the Apostle Paul in Romans 11 there, all the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we read these events in Jonah. We believe, we are convinced that these events actually happened. And what a, a token of your grace. What a clear indication of your sovereignty in events and overruling even the disobedience of a prophet. Uh, Jonah trying to run away from you, but you overruled that for good, not only of Jonah's good eventually, but for the salvation of that shipload of sailors, and later on we'll see the salvation of a city of Nineveh as Jonah finally went there. Lord, your ways are marvelous. Uh, they are wonderful. Help us, we pray, to accept what comes upon us as uh, from your gracious hand. Help us not to see anything as being uh, luck or chance, but just seeing the sovereign providence of God in our lives. Help us to rejoice in those things we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ.